Hello, Thrive Church. It brings me so much joy to be here today. And I just want to wish all of you a very happy Valentine's Day weekend. You know, if you are new to church, maybe you're just exploring, or maybe you are just curious, or maybe you come from a different faith background or no faith background at all, I just want to say we welcome you, and we are so glad that you are here. And we hope that this will be a place where you can feel safe, a place where you can take some encouragement and hope to start a brand new week. And if there's any way that we can be helping, or if there's any questions that we can answer for you, then we invite you to send a message to us at... Um, at uh, info at thrivechurch.ca. How can I possibly forget our own email address? Now, over the past several weeks, Pastor JB has been sharing with us on the, the art of healthy relating. In the first week, Pastor JB shared with us about the importance of intentionality, how it is so important to be intentional in your relationships. You know, in the second week, Pastor JB shared with us about the importance of self-care. And it's the idea that it is so important to take good care of yourself before you take care of others. And in this last week, you know, Pastor JB was sharing with us about just the importance of healthy communication, especially when we're in a conflict. And if you miss any of those messages, then you absolutely need to go and check them out. And you can find them on our Thrive Church Vancouver podcast, or you can go to our Facebook page, or you can also go to our YouTube page. You must check it out. But, and the reason is because whether you have a Valentine's date or not this weekend, whether you're single or you're married, we believe that every single person is called to have healthier relationships in our lives. Now, if you have any questions that you want to ask throughout, then we invite you to ask, send, send your questions. You can do so anonymously, and you can send it to mythrive.info or text us at 604-285-5770. Now, Pastor JB and I, we've been married for 19 years. I know it's crazy because we got married so young. We were three. But, um, you know, this would be actually the 22nd Valentine's Day that we celebrate together. Now, here's the thing. Between the two of us, Pastor JB has a much better memory of all the special ways that we celebrated the special occasions, whether it's a birthday, or it's a wedding anniversary, or it's a Valentine's Day. But if you ask me, I can tell you the thing that we did for our very first Valentine's Day. It was so special because it's actually the first time that we met up after we started dating, and Pastor JB came out to visit me in Boston, so it was super special. But honestly, if you ask me what we did last year for Valentine's Day, I tried really hard, but I can't remember. I think, but you know, honestly, this is what I think. I think we probably had you know, lunch or dinner somewhere. Um, but I don't think we really like went all out to celebrate because ever since we've had kids, every special occasion becomes a family celebration. And so don't blame me. I mean, forgive me, Pastor JB. I'm sorry that I can't remember. But here's the thing. If you ask Pastor JB, he would probably be able to tell you what we did for every single Valentine's Day in chronological order from year one to year 22. I'm not kidding. Or he actually might be able to do this backwards from year 22 all the way back to year one. And I blame it on the fact that, you know, I've had two babies and therefore I have mommy brain. I don't think guys would ever understand that, but your memory does sometimes go. But here's the thing. If there's anything that I cannot forget about marriage or relationships is that sometimes, and in fact, all the time, it takes work. 
Now, I'm not talking about boring work. I'm not talking about you know, annoying work. I mean, there will be some of that, but I'm talking about doing work that you really enjoy. Just imagine you're working on a project that you really love. Maybe it's cooking your favorite dish, or maybe it's baking a pie or baking a cookie that you really love, or maybe it's honing a skill in a sport, or maybe it's working on a piece of art or music. You see, the thing is that it will be work that is fun, that is rewarding, that is enjoyable. But there will also be times when there are setbacks. There will be times when you feel like, oh, I can't go on and I just want to quit. But here's the thing. You see, when you do something like that, at the end, when you finish it, you have that sense, sense of satisfaction. You have that sense of fulfillment. And it's work that you really enjoy. And that's what work in marriage is like. You see, it's satisfying. It's fulfilling. It comes with a share of frustration, sometimes to the point where you want to give up. But definitely one thing I know for sure is that marriage involves work. You see, John Lennon, one of the most famous singers from the Beatles, he says this. He says, love is like a precious plant. You can't just accept it and leave it in the cupboard or just think it's going to get on by itself. You've got to keep on watering it. You've got to really look after it and nurture it. See, that's love. Love is not just a feeling. Love produces feeling, there's no doubt, but at the end of the day, it's a commitment that, we, that requires that we make many choices along the way. And sometimes these choices are not going to be easy. Sometimes it's going to be hard. Sometimes it's going to be pretty inconvenient. But ultimately, it's these choices and the decisions you make with each and every single one of these choices that will determine whether you have a good and lasting relationship or not. And it's for that reason that I titled today's message, The Importance of Keeping Love alive. You see, the Bible actually has a lot to say on this topic. See, God himself, he is a perfect example of what love is. The Bible tells us that his love is unconditional. It's unrelenting. It is steadfast, unchanging, and enduring. And there's nothing you can do to make him love you more or make, you, make him love you any less than how much he loves you already today. And that's the way that he loves you and me. But God doesn't stop there. You see, he says, I love you with that steadfast, everlasting love. And I want you to do the same and give the same kind of love, love other people in the same way. Let's take a look at a couple verses together. Jeremiah 31.3, it says, The Lord appeared to us in the past, saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. Then take a look at what it says in the book of John. In the John 15.12, it says, My command is this, love each other as I, have, I, as I have loved you. Now that's a command from God. And how do you even do that? It's like, how is it even possible to love someone with an everlasting, steadfast love that never changes? You see, when I look up the word everlasting, this is what I get. It says, like, very long time or forever. Is it even possible to love someone forever and for a very long time? And if so, how do we do that? And that's what I want to share with you today. But you see, before we get into this message, I want to make two things really, really clear. The first thing is that if you are dating, which means that you are not married to this person yet, then you are not bound to love that person forever. Not until the day you decide to marry that person and say, I do. And so if you're in a relationship and the relationship is abusive, the, you know, the, like maybe the guy or the girl is really rude to you or mean, or if that person is really rude to their parents, these are all red 
red flags that you should watch out for. And for more information on you know, what, like, what you should be looking for in a spouse, I encourage you to go back to a sermon that Pastor JB preached in May 2019. It's called First Thing to Look For in a Life Partner. So if you have any red flags in your relationships right now, if there's any sign of abuse and violence, then I strongly encourage you to end it because you do not want to step into marriage where there is actually no turning back and there is no divorce. Now, if you go, that's according to the Bible. Now, if you go according to the culture's way, then you can divorce and you can end a, a bad relationship in a marriage at any time. But if you want to honor God with your life, if you want to live according to what the Bible says, then divorce is not an option. And so let me tell you, if you are dating, if you're not in a marriage, then think twice before you walk into marriage because the person that you choose to marry is going to solve a lot of your marriage problems. You know, there's a second group, there's a second group of people that I want to talk to. You know, today's message, I want to make it really, really, really clear. Today's message that I'm sharing is not about the past, but it's about the present. It's about the present. I want you to type into the chat room, it's about the present, because it's so important. If you've been separated or divorced, I'm definitely not here to judge you. In fact, every single one of us has had to make tough decisions in our lives, in every single relationship, whether it's with a spouse or with other people. We've all made mistakes. And so please know that I'm not here to judge anybody. And if you've been separated or divorced, please don't just turn off the screen right now and be like, I don't want to hear this, because this is what I believe. I believe that God has given me a message because he wants to save someone's marriage today. And for those of you who are separated or divorced, I believe that God wants to use you and the relationship that you went through to help someone else not go through the same kind of pain that you went through in your separation. And so everything that I share today is about the past. It's not about the past. It's about what you can do now and going forward. And so for those of you who are married, you know, I believe you need to learn these four keys because if you want to have a long-lasting, everlasting relationship, you need to learn these four keys. For those of you who are single or maybe thinking about, you know, marrying, you need to learn these four keys because these four keys will give you a healthy expectation of what marriage is going to look like. And for those of you who are parents in this place, these four keys will be so important if you want to have a good relationship, a healthy relationship with your kids, especially when they become teenagers. And so are you guys ready? All right, these four keys can be found in one verse. It's in 1 Corinthians 13, 7. Let's read it together. 1 Corinthians 13, 7, it says, Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. The first key that I want to share with you to keeping love alive is choosing to expect the best. Choosing to expect the best. You see, 1 Corinthians 7, 13, it says, Love always always hopes. And what does the Bible mean when it says that love always hopes? It means that you keep focusing on the potential in others to become the best version of themselves, no matter how they've messed up. And here's why. Because your beliefs about people and the world can create a self-fulfilling prophecy. Did you know that? The, po the more positive outlook you have, the more positive outcome, the po more positive the experience will be. And when you go into a certain situation and you act in a way that reflects your expectations, those expectations often become a reality. And the flip side is also true. When you go into a relationship and you, when you think about your spouse and your friends and your expectations are the worst that it could possibly be, oftentimes those expectations will also become a reality. 
Study after study have shown that we tend to act in ways that the people we value, that we value think we're going to act. And so in other words, people tend to fulfill what we think they expect of us, and they fulfill that expectation. Now, let me tell you a story. There's a famous author and teacher by the name of Bruce Wilkinson, and he wrote a book called The Prayer of Jabez. And several, you know, years ago, he was a new professor at a university, at Moltma University. And at the first faculty meeting, he received his class assignments. So his associate professor, you know, other professors looked over and said, whoa, Bruce, you got to check this out. You got the Section A classes. Those are the brightest kids in the university. You're going to love teaching them. You are so fortunate to have Section A class in your first term. Now, Bruce discovered that to be true because he found, as he was teaching this class, that this class was really responsive. They were excited, and they asked really good questions. And he just compared to the other classes, he just really, really enjoyed teaching these Section A classes. And so at the end of the year, he goes up to his department and he goes, thanks so much for giving me the Section A classes. I really hope, that, I, really hope I get them again next year. And you know what his department head said? He says, Bruce, I have no idea what you're talking about because we canceled the Section A classes six years ago. There is no such class. And when Bruce went back and checked his gradebook, he found that those Section A classes actually got higher grades. There were more A's, and they actually wrote more meaningful and thoughtful term papers than the other classes that he taught. And he realized something. He realized that it's because he expected them to be better students, and so they rose to the challenge. And here's the thing, throughout your life, you will have the opportunity to shape so many people around you. And, and, and that expectation that you have on them is going to sh really shape who they are. And when you expect the best from others, you are reflecting the lo lasting love of Jesus. See, love doesn't keep looking back at mistakes, but it is forward-looking. It is optimistic, and it says that the best is yet to come. And one of the most practical ways, the most practical way that you can actually show that and draw the best out of people is through words of encouragement. You see, our words create our world, right? And so when you speak positive words of encouragement to your spouse or to your children, you will have a positive atmosphere and positivity and hope in your home. And encouragement means to put courage in someone. And so when you say, I believe in you, I believe you can do it. When you say those things, you're infusing courage into the people that you're speaking to become a better version of themselves. It doesn't help to nag, but it really helps to encourage. In fact, did you know that you can actually trick a man into thinking that he is wonderful? See, you can trick a man into thinking that he's really wonderful just through the words that you say. It is so possible because here's the thing. I say to Pastor JB all the time, Pastor JB, you are the best husband, you are the best dad, and you are the best pastor. And he actually is, right? And uh, with, with or without my encouragement, he's actually amazing. And parents in this place, you can do the same thing with your kids. Your words of encouragement will shape their child's future. They will live up to what we expect and hope of them. And if you have high expectations of them, don't tell it like it is. Tell it like it could be, because it will forever change the course of their lives. Is there someone that you can encourage this week? Is there someone that you can choose to expect the best from this week? Point number two, the second key to keeping love alive in your relationship is choosing to express faith. 
Now, 1 Corinthians 7, 13, it says, love always trusts. In order to have a healthy relationship, there must be a foundation of trust because trust is a central pillar that supports a love relationship. In fact, without trust, there is no love. You know, there's a story in the Bible about uh, a judge by the name of Samson, and his wife keeps trying to ask him, you know, can you please tell me the secret to your strength? And he just wouldn't do it. And so in his third attempt, in her third attempt to find out, to find out the secret to Samson's strength, look at what she says in Judges 16:15. She says, "How can you say I love you when you won't confide in me?" See why is that? It's because love and trust they go hand in hand. There is no love when there is no trust. And when you really love someone, when you really believe in that person, you have faith in them, you trust them, you relieve their fears. Your trust causes them to grow and to flourish. And when you love someone, you trust them. Love always trusts, love always believes. It always expresses faith. But I know what some of you are thinking right now. You're thinking, Pastor Shar, this is really difficult for me. You don't understand my situation. See, I can't trust my husband. He's lied to me so many times. How can you possibly be asking me to trust my husband? It is so hard. Now, I know. I know it's hard. I know it's really going to take a lot of work, but can I share something? Can I share with you why it is so important for you to continue to trust the person who has broken your trust? The first reason is because you will be happier. You see, according to a new study in the Journal of Happiness Studies, people who were more trusting and gave others the benefit of the doubt were more happy compared to those who always blamed others. Contrary to common belief, these people were actually not more gullible. In fact, they had higher EQ, they had higher IQ, they were more well-adjusted psychologically, and they were not gullible at all, and they actually lived longer lives. And here's the reason. I believe it's because when you choose to trust someone often, you do definitely run the occasional risk of being disappointed or being hurt. But the flip side of choosing to live in negativity and doubt and questioning all the time is that you will always be unhappy. You will always be living in doubt. You will always be living in negativity. And so if you had to choose between the two, I believe that you will have more happier days if you choose to just believe and you choose to trust, even though there's a risk of being disappointed, even though there's a risk of being hurt. And so some of you might be like, but Pastor Shar, seriously, how can you possibly expect me to do that? You would be expecting me to live in lies? And my answer would be no. You see, when you choose to trust someone, did you know that it actually causes the other person to want to become more trustworthy? A behavioral scientist, Ernest Fair, at the university in Switzerland confirmed this experimentally. And he said this, he says, if you trust people, you make them more trustworthy. And it's because trust begets trust. People will tend to live up to what is believed about them by their loved ones. So instead of pushing your spouse or your kids in those times when they lie to you, one of the best ways that you can show grace is actually by choosing to forgive, it's choosing to give grace and trusting them again the next time. Because the Bible says, love always trusts. Any coach will tell you that the best way to restore someone's confidence is to give them the ball on the next play. So if you love someone, the best way we can show that is to express our faith in them and keep trusting them because love never loses its faith. Now, you might be like, but Pastor Joe, you don't really understand. He's my husband. He's violated every single rule of trust in the book. So what do you do when you cannot trust your spouse? Can I tell you something? You trust God. You trust God. 
because your God is bigger than your spouse. And you say, God, I believe that you're bigger than my spouse, that you're bigger than my problem, and that you will be able to change his heart and change his life. And so before you give up your relationship with your spouse, give God a chance. Give God the chance to change you and give God the chance to change your spouse. Psalm 62, eight says, trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him for God is our refuge. You see, your spouse is not your refuge. Your spouse is not your refuge. God is your refuge. And so trust God all the time because he will take care of you and he will protect you. Is there someone in your life that you need to give more trust? And is there someone in your life that you need to express more faith to today? Key number three. The third key to keeping love alive is choosing to persevere through the hard times. You see, 1 Corinthians 13 and 7, it says love always perseveres. It's because love endures through all the hard times. According to the Bible, love never gives up. It is persistent, it is determined, it is stubborn, and it refuses to quit. And one of the things that you'll hear me say a lot in this message is that God's love for us is expressed in the form of a covenant. Now, a covenant, as the Bible describes it, it is a pact between two parties where both parties are bound to keep their side of the pact, even if the other side gives up. Unlike a contract, a covenant is meant to be permanent. It's meant to be forever. And that is why in wedding vows, you know, the covenant that you say will be until death do us part because it's meant to be a lifetime. It's meant to be forever. And there's nothing that could ever break this covenant. It's two people saying, you know what? I give all of myself to you and I am committed to this marriage until the end of my life. And that's what we see in the Bible. See, despite all the ways that we have turned our backs on God and don't live up to our part of the relationship, God continues to love us with a steadfast, enduring, persistent, constant, and unconditional love. And God always intended for a husband and wife in a marriage relationship to love that way because it's a reflection of God's covenant with you and with me. But here's the problem. You see, nowadays in our society, we tend to treat marriage not like a covenant, but we tend to treat it like a contract. You know, we see it more as something that we can just kind of try out. And if things don't really work, then we just simply end it. No big deal, right? But that's not how God sees marriages. God does not see it like a contract. God says it is a covenant. And your marriage is only going to last. Your marriage is only going to make it till the end if you see it as a covenant, And so for those of you who are not married, you know what? Let me tell you something. Keeping a covenant the biblical way is not going to be easy. You are, it's going to take a lot of persistence. There will be a lot of problems, no matter how good your marriage is. Like, you know, there's going to be, like, it's going to take a lot of determination. It's going to take a lot of perseverance. And so if you are still thinking about marriage, think really hard about whether you want to do this because you are bound for life the moment that you say, I do. It's like saying, you know, I'm really serious about this. I'm going to do it. I'm not just playing when I say that I will take you for better or worse until death do us part. And so if you're not married, think really, really carefully. For those of you who are married, if you are married, remember that your love is a covenant, that your marriage is a covenant. It's not a contract. And in the same way that God made a covenant and kept his covenant with you, he wants you to do the same in your marriage. You see, the covenant that we made with God, that God made with us, hasn't always been that easy and convenient for him. 
it wasn't convenient when Jesus had to come down from heaven and be born in a manger because there was no room in the inn, and yet he kept his covenant. It wasn't easy when Jesus was walking up to, to, you know, and he carried his cross while people stepped on him, and yet he did it because he had a covenant to keep. It wasn't convenient when Jesus was mocked on the cross by people, and yet he endured the humiliation because he had a covenant to keep. It was not convenient at all for Jesus when people drove nails into his hand and into his feet, and yet he endured the pain because he had a covenant to keep. It was not convenient at all when Jesus shed his blood for us so that our sins can be forgiven, and yet he had a covenant to keep. And you and I, we are here today because we have a covenant-keeping, promise-keeping God that said, I swear to you that I will be with you till the end of age. That's a covenant. And in the same way, he wants you and I to treat marriage in the same way. It's not easy. It's not always going to be convenient. And it's going to require that you make a lot of hard choices over and over and over again throughout your marriage. But that's the way that God intended for a covenant in marriage to be. And while I can't make, I honestly can't make marriages any easier. But I could share with you what I think are two ways which can help make covenant keeping in marriage just a little bit more smoother. You know, the first one is to surround yourself with other believers, to surround yourself with other believers. You know, when you're going through tough times, don't go through it by yourself. Surround yourself with other people who can support you, who can help you, such as joining a small group. Let me give you an example. I remember when Bradley was first born, this was 10 years ago, and uh, going into parenting, going into mommyhood, was actually a bit of a hard transition for me because I felt like I didn't know what I was doing. You know, I would try to put this boy down when, he, when it's time to sleep, and for some reason, it wouldn't work. He just wouldn't want to do it, and I, he would be be crying, and at that time he wasn't really communicating verbally, and so he'd be crying, and I have no idea why he's crying. And there would be days when I was really down, and I would just be, you know, pretty frustrated, feeling like I'm quite an inadequate mother. And so after a while, you know, after the first few months, I decided, you know what, I really, really need to talk to some other mothers. And Bradley actually was one of the first kids that was born into Thrive Church. And so what happened was I gathered all the mothers that I knew, all the young mothers with babies in the church, and I said, hey, guys, I think I need this small group, and so can you guys come and meet with me? And so we started a mommy's group, and we started to meet together you know, every week. And to be honest with you, whenever I would go into that small group, before I go into small group, I would feel like the worst and lousiest mother in the world. I'd be like, oh, my goodness, Like, I wish I could just keep this guy alive because sometimes I'm not even really sure he's going to like stay alive. But whenever I go to the small group and I listen and I fellowship and I, you know, pray with other mothers, I always leave feeling better. Now, it's not because other mothers are in worse situations than I am. It's not that at all. It's not because they're actually worse mothers and so I feel really good about myself. It's actually quite the opposite. See, what happened was I go into that group and I gleaned so much wisdom and I gleaned so much knowledge about how to take care of my child that I always felt feeling like, you know, I always loved feeling like I'm not alone in this and that I actually have a support network and that what I'm going through is not uncommon, but it's actually pretty common in the first year of parenting. 
And so why am I sharing this with you today? Because in the same way in marriage, it's so important to surround yourself with other married couples who can support you, trust, you know, that you can trust, encourage, and pray for you. Because you will start to realize that some of the struggles that you go through, some of the fights and arguments that you go through are actually not that uncommon in marriages. And you will find that there is actually hope in your situation. See, Hebrews 10, 25, it says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. That's what happens when you surround yourself with other believers in a small group. You will find that your burden is lighter and that you have the strength and that you have the courage to keep fighting for your marriage. See, the second way, the second way that I believe would help when you feel stuck, when you feel like you can't carry on and you really feel like you are in a dead end, go see a counselor. You know, counselors, like people tend to think that counselors are only for people who are sick. It's actually not. It's actually for anyone and everyone who just wants to process events in their lives. And so when you're in a marriage where you feel really stuck and you feel like, I don't know how to fix the situation, I've tried everything I can, but for some reason, nothing is changing, then can I urge you to do something? Go and speak with a good Christian counselor. It could be both of you. It could be one of you or, you know, two of you separately. Whatever it is, don't give up on your marriage because I believe that God can use a counselor to help you. And if God hasn't given up on your marriage, don't give up on it. Tell the person next to you, don't give up. The fourth and last key, the fourth and last key today I want to share with you is choosing to give grace. You see, here's the thing I've made about marriages, is that the longer you're married, the easier it is for you to become ungracious. You become a little bit more critical, you become more easily irritable, and you just forget and take other people for granted. But if you want your marriage to last in your, in your relationship, you have, to be choose, you have to choose to be more gracious, more merciful, more patient, more loving, and more forgiving. That's grace. 1 Corinthians 13, 7, it says, love always protects. See, if we look at the English Standard Version, it actually says, love bears all things. What does that mean? It means that no matter how frustrated and irritated you are, you will choose to bear with the other person in love because you choose to protect the relationship and you choose to never give up. And so let me share with you a few ways that you can do that. The first way is to express your thanks often. You know, JB and I, as I mentioned earlier, we've been married for 19 years. And, one of, and I, I really believe that one of the reasons that we are still together today is because we often express thanks to each other. You know, for example, um, we both drive our kids to school on a daily basis. There's not a day when we don't drive our kids to school, especially on the weekdays. And, and, and the thing is, after about seven and a half years of doing so, because our son is 10, so we started driving at about two and a half. When Bradley was two and a half, all the way till now, we've never stopped driving our kids to school. And yet to this day, we've probably done this 3,500 times, two and back, pick up, you know, different things. We've done this 3,500 times, and yet to this day, we will still say to each other, hey, thanks for driving Bradley to school, or thanks for picking up Caleb from school. In fact, this past week, I did a test. 
And so I took my phone and uh, I started to, you know, look up my messages and I put in the word thanks. And I was amazed at just how many thanks it, there were in the conversations between me and JB. And if I were to just kind of read you a random message on an, any given day, it would probably say, if it was from me to JB, it would probably say, hey JB, thanks for driving, you know, the boys to school today. Just wondering if you want lunch. And if it's from JB to me, then he would probably say, hey Shara, thanks for picking up Caleb today. Um, you know, could you please give me a call when you have a chance later? Now, Here's the thing, we don't, like, the reason why we say it, even though it sounds like a broken record sometimes, the reason why we say it and we still give thanks to each other for driving our kids to school, no matter whether it's a responsibility or not, the reason why we do it is because we want to show the other person that we don't take them for granted and that we appreciate them. And I really believe that this is one of the reasons why we have fewer conflicts in our marriage. Now, notice I said fewer, I didn't say never, because in your marriage, you're going to have conflicts no matter what. But I really believe that there are fewer conflicts because we often say thanks to each other. And this doesn't just apply to my relationship with JB. You know, my mother-in-law, actually, she drives our kids from time to time for us too. Every single week, she'll help us pick up our kids once or twice. And whenever my mother-in-law does that, I actually would send her a message. I really try not to forget, you know, mom, I'm sorry about those times when I do forget, but I really do send her a message and I say, you know, Ma, thanks so much for driving the kids today or thanks so much for picking up Caleb. And, um, and, and there are times when I type it and I'm like, oh, I feel like a broken record. And so I try to come up with creative ways. Thanks for driving. Next week will be like, you know, thanks for picking up. But after like, <laughs> but after so many times, it's like you can only say it in so many ways. And my mother-in-law is always so gracious and she always sends me a message and says, you're welcome. And so why am I sharing this with you today? Because if you want your relationship to last, whether it's a marriage or not, it's a friendship or whatever it is, you need to give grace and learn to say thanks often. Tell the person next to you, say thanks often. Let me share with you a second way. You know, the second way that you can show grace is simply by letting some things go. Now, I'm, not, I'm talking specifically about small and petty things because there's different levels of things, right, the, of conflicts. So, for example, there's some small and petty things, and that's what I'm going to be focusing on, but there's also things that, you know, are not so small and not so petty. And in those situations, you definitely want to make sure that you have a conversation about it with the person that you're in the conflict with and that you don't leave it boiling inside. But for small and petty things, then this is what I want to tell you. So for some small and petty things in marriage, because how many of you know that many of the arguments and many of the conflicts that you face in marriage are actually just an accumulation of very small and tiny things that eventually erupt into a volcano. In fact, Pastor JB, sometimes we would argue, and we would argue, and we would talk about it, and at the end of the conversation, both of us are like, why do we just spend two hours talking about this? Because the content of what we were discussing, the actual thing was not that big of a deal. And both of us sometimes agree that it's, you know, it's, it's just not a big deal. But here's the thing, when you bring up small and petty matters, what happens is you bring it up and the other person will feel like they have to defend themselves. So then you start a conversation and that conversation just escalates to a totally different level. And so what I'm trying to tell you is key number two, just let it go go. Just let it go, because some things are just not worth arguing about. You see, in like, uh, let me give you an example. 
You know, earlier on, when we first got married, I would be really particular about the way I line up the dishes in the dishwasher. Because to me, this was very much like a game of Tetris. You know, it's like, how can I stack it in a way where I can maximize the number of dishes in there and also make sure that they're all thoroughly cleaned? You know, I feel like in my mind, I'm like saving the environment, I'm actually saving water, and I'm doing it well. Pastor JB, on the other hand, he doesn't really enjoy this game of Tetris. And so for him, it's like, I'm washing the dishes, I just need to put it into the dishwasher. As long as it's in the dishwasher, that's all that really matters. And so when we first got married, there will be times when I get pretty irritated and be like, <laughs> like, why? Why can't we just do this properly, right? And, um, and it was always one of those things that was unavoidable for us to go into some kind of an argument and some kind of an, like, a, you know, a debate. And so guess what? I learned over time that I should just let it go. And it's because it's actually not worth it. It's not worth it to ruin the atmosphere of our relationship or to ruin the atmosphere of our home over dishes. And the fact is, I would rather have JB do the dishes than to do it all by myself. And so I should just stop talking about it and just let him do the dishes whatever way he wants, right? But in the same way, you're going to encounter things in your marriage which is just not worth mentioning, whether it's with your spouse, your children, or maybe your friends and your coworkers. Do you know why? because the atmosphere of your workplace, because the atmosphere of your home, the atmosphere of your relationship is so much more important than those dirty dishes and those dirty socks and dirty laundry that's sitting around. And so we are all imperfect. Two sinners cannot possibly create a perfect relationship. So instead of nagging, just let it go and give, give some grace. Proverbs 29, 21.9 it says, better to live on a corner of the roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. So if you want a happy marriage, don't nag. Just let the small things go. Tell the person next to you, I'm going to let it go next time. Third point, the third way, the third way that you can choose to persevere through hard times is be quick to forgive. You see, can I tell you a secret about marriage? A great marriage is not just the union of two people who are physically attracted to each other. It's actually the union of two great forgivers. Two great forgivers. You see, physical attraction, it can certainly help, but the marriage is not going to last unless they learn to be great forgivers. Colossians 3.13, it says, Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Now, the Bible doesn't say that we are to, like, that, that, you know, the Bible not only says we are to forgive, but the Bible also says that we should do it very quickly. You see, take a look at another verse with me. It's from Ephesians 4.26. It says, do not let the sun go down while you are still hungry, while you are still angry, not hungry. <laughs> Why? Because it's not healthy when you stay angry at each other for too long. Can I tell you another reason why? See, the other reason why you should just settle it before you go to bed is because one of you, I won't say who, but one of you might be so upset that they can't go to sleep. And so they're just going to wake you up in the middle of the night. And so you're better off having uninterrupted sleep by settling it before you go to bed. And here's the thing. If you want to have healthy relationship, you need to let go of offenses and forgive quickly. Because an offense is an event, but being offended is a choice that you make. 
And so I know what some of you are thinking right now. Maybe you're here and you struggle with the message and you're like, how can I possibly trust that person again? After all that they've done, I'd be stupid if I trusted that person again. Or, you know, you might be like, what if, what if, Pastor Char, what if this is one of those marriages where no matter what I do, no matter how much I believe in the best, it's just not meant to be and it's just not going to work out. You know, I hear your struggles, and I actually am challenged by the same concern. And keep in mind that I'm not here to say, you know, throw caution to the wind and just believe that everything is going to be okay. No, because it takes so much wisdom to know what to do and how to take the, not, like, the wise next step in your marriage. But one thing that challenges me, one thing that challenges me about 1 Corinthians 13.7 is that there are no caveats, there are no qualifiers, and there are no exceptions. You see, it says love always trusts and it always hopes. In other words, we need to be wise and careful with the next steps that we take, but also know that if you want to restore your relationship, that if you want this marriage to work out, if there's any part of you that wants to do that, then you cannot not hope and you cannot not believe because love is so much about love and about trust and hope. And you can't go in the direction of love without hoping and without trusting. And so it might be something where you take things slowly. I'm not telling you to go in and just say, okay, fine, I just believe everything that you do and I'm just gonna trust you wholeheartedly again. No, I'm not saying that, but maybe it takes some baby steps. Maybe it's something where you, know, you take little baby steps and it's just about being intentional of moving in that direction and just trusting that God will give you wisdom as you do that. You know, will there be certain times when um, there's just no, there, where you've just reached a point of no return? That's a really, really tough question. You know, will there ever be a point where divorce and separation really is just the way to go? It's a tough question, you know? It's, it's true that the Bible does make allowance for that under certain circumstances, but that's the last resort. That's the last resort, even in the worst of circumstances. So the bottom line is, we need God. We need his love, we need his strength, and we need his wisdom in order to have the kind of relationship that he wants us to have. And so right now, I wanna give us a chance to respond to God together. You know, maybe you're currently in a relationship where it's very strained. Maybe it's with your spouse. Maybe it's with your children. Maybe it's with a really good friend. Can I invite you to pray with me? I'm going to invite you to pray with me. I'm going to invite you to lift your hands. I'm going to invite you to repeat after me and pray with me. If you find yourself in one of those really hard decisions right now in your relationship. And we're going to say, Father, thank you for showing me today that your love for me always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. You know the situation that I am in in particular, I pray for my relationship with, and I want you to fill in the blank with the person that you're thinking about right now. Please help me to move in the direction of love, to choose to expect the best in others, to express faith and trust in others, to persevere through hard times, and to give grace and forgiveness to others. Please give me wisdom to do this in the wisest way possible, in a way that works best for everyone involved. In Jesus' name I pray. 
Amen, amen, amen. You know, there's a second group of people that I want to be praying for today. Speaking of forgiveness, there's no forgiveness like the forgiveness that God gives. The fact is, 1 Corinthians 13, 7 is ultimately describing what God's like, God's love for us is like. It's always protecting. It's always hoping. It's always trusting. And it's always persevering. And to prove it, God didn't just say it, but he actually proved it by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us when we had no way of reaching him so that our sins can be forgiven. And God gave us grace by sending his son, Jesus Christ, so that our sins can be forgiven and we can have a way back to him. And I find this, is that until I receive that forgiveness from God, it's that until I understand and I completely comprehend and I completely live out the love that God has for me, that I'm not able to extend this to others. That I can't give the love that always protects. I can't give the love that always trusts. I can't give the love that always hopes. And I can't give the love that always perseveres unless I receive it first. And so it's really tough for me to do that. And today, if that's what you want, if you want to give that kind of love, love that is protecting, love that perseveres, love that endures through the hard times, then I'm going to invite you to say a prayer with me. You know, if you actually go to the chat room, there's a link in the chat room right now that will take you to a prayer. Or if, for example, you're on, um, like there's a, there's a QR code that is on the screen. If you scan the QR code, it's also going to take you to that prayer. And if you want that love, love in you from Jesus, then I invite you to say that prayer with me. And for all of you who've already said the prayer before, I'm going to invite you to say it together, just in support of those who are saying it for the very first time. And so let's say it together. Dear Jesus, thank you that because you love me, you died on the cross to pay for my sins and rose again to give me life. Today, I open up my heart and I ask you to forgive me of my sins and fill me with the Holy Spirit. I place my trust not in what I do, but in what you've done for me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 If you pray that prayer today, then congratulations because the Bible says that your sins are forgiven and that you are a child of God and that you have the hope of eternal life with Jesus in heaven. And so we have a gift that we want to give to you to congratulate you for making that decision. If you can just scroll to the bottom of that prayer page, send us your information. We want to get that gift to you. And, you know, I encourage you to share the good news with someone in your life. Maybe it's someone who brought you to church. Maybe it's someone that you're sitting next to right now. But I I encourage you to share that you pray this prayer with that person. Let's give a God, let's give our God a big hand in this place. Praise God. Hello everyone. Welcome to Thrive Church. My name is Kathy and it's so great to be here with you guys today virtually from wherever it is you're watching. Before I let you guys go, I have a few announcements for you. If it's your first time here, we would love to get to know you better. So please text new to 604-285-5770 or visit mythrive.info and we will mail you your very own Thrive Stainless Steel water bottle. If you prayed the prayer with Pastor JB earlier to receive Jesus Christ you'd like today, congratulations, we have a gift package for you and we'll send you a series of videos that will help answer some questions about Christianity. Please text BELIEVE to 604-285-5770 or visit mythrive.info. It is important for us to stay connected, especially during COVID. Here at Thrive, we encourage everyone to be a part of a small group. 
Small group is a place where you can meet regularly through Zoom, share with one another, pray, and have fun. Sign up on MyThrive.info. I would also like to thank everyone for all your generous offerings this past year. 2021 donation tax receipts were sent out February 3rd, so please let us know if you haven't received it yet or if you have any questions. Email us at info at thrivechurch.ca. That's it for this week. I hope you all have a great day. Don't forget to give your tithes and offerings online at mythrive.info. I will see you all next week online at 9.30 a.m. and 11.30 a.m. Wishing you all the love this Valentine's Day. Bye!